0: Me being from an engineering, automotive, lean background already, and what I encountered in these hospitals, I felt it actually to be horrible. I had stomach aches and headaches, and I was anxious, and this all while I wasn't even the patient. Those experiences left me to believe that there was a lot to learn in healthcare about how to build in quality into everything you do. Doctors and nurses can do amazing things for people, but they forgot that they can only deliver amazing things when they have an excellent process as well.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Swan.
2: And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we're from the Just In Time Cafe. Welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in this world.
1: We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles.
2: So Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu today?
1: Ah, Tracy. Today's highlight is our interview with the lean practitioner Arnout Aurelio, where we discuss his new book, Lean Thinking for Emerging Healthcare Leaders. Healthcare is slightly different in the Netherlands, but the remedies he cites are completely applicable in the U.S. For hot apps, we spotlight a super basic digital whiteboard that lets you collaborate with remote teams. And for Q&A, we asked our community about giving others credit. It's often what people care most about. So why doesn't it happen enough? Um, And so, Tracy, I'm going to give you credit right now. You deserve it.
2: Well, thank you. I will take it. (laughs) Up next is Hot Apps.
1: Yes, this app is Google's Jamboard, and it's kind of a low rent version of Mural or Miro or some other digital whiteboard. Uh, simple and free. What'd you think, Tracy?
2: Well, I do like whiteboards a great deal, especially with virtual and remote teams. This one is especially nice because it's free. And since I do use Google apps a lot, it's really easy just to go to my Google Drive and start using Jamboard. Uh, so it has a lot of the same features that I'm very familiar with. I, I'm gonna be honest and say I use Mural the most out of all all three, Mural, Mural and Jamboard. Um, but I did notice that it has very similar features. I'm sure you're going to probably speak to that as well. But I think it's a great tool.
1: Yeah. And what's hilarious, you know, you put it on our list. I was like, oh, good. I'll check out this Jamboard that Tracy wants me to look at. And so I was like, oh, it's new to me. And then I searched it, and I immediately found the Jamboard that we used for Lean Coffee We need, we had Eric Olson, uh, Olson visit the cafe. So I I uh, I didn't write, recognize its name for some reason but I've clearly used it. (laughs) So it is really basic, which is a huge appeal, and it's free, which should also appeal to everybody. And it is a digital whiteboard, but without the bells and whistles of something like your favorite and mine mural. Um, You get to it by going to Google and selecting apps, right? And you can use it inside Google Meets, right? So there's nice pairing there if you use Google Meets for your meetings. I found the Lean Coffee Kanban board, like I said, when I did the searching and it had our post-its on it with ideas for conversation, you know, classic, you know, columns. It had topics discussing, right? What topics were we discussing and done? We finished those topics or, and epiphanies. That was a new, it's it's new for a Kanban board. It's kind of fun. So, all right, so it is basic, right? So there's a pen, if you press it, and you hold it, you can have different types of pens, right? You could have regular, thicker, you could have a highlighter and you could change the color, um, you could doodle, you could draw, that's nice to have, right? So a little creativity there. There's an eraser, you and I both need erasers. You can uh, switch back to a cursor so that you're you know, moving stuff if you want to. You can use sticky notes, Right. You and I are big fans of digital and real um, post-it notes. So you could change the color. You could move it around once you've created it and you can edit it. You can add pictures. I kind of like this. It remind me a little bit of the mural uh, feature where you can go in and look at pictures and, you know, type in like Cape Cod like I did. And immediately got a lighthouse, which was 10 minutes from my house. And you could go there and search in, you know, dinosaur pop it right in basic shapes you've got your circle your square all the basics and arrows and you could create those and then give them color right they've got some fill there's a text box another basic cool what I kind of like the most which I'd not seen before in the other apps is this laser pointer and so you click on that and it will draw like a red laser and then disappear so it's it's a little bit classy. It's kind of new and I like that. Just calling attention to whatever the heck you're doing. The other thing I like is, you know, you can change the background, stuff like that um, in terms of what your whiteboard looks like. You could give it a grid or dots. You can also download your work. You could turn that into a PDF. And then of course, essential, you could share the link to your Jamboard with everybody you want to work with. Um, and I did that, I went into to look at who we shared that um, who we shared the jam board with. And the only person left in there was Mark Graben. I was like,
0: hmm,
1: Mark still has access to this jam board. So um, thanks for picking this one, Tracy, and throwing it on the list. I totally appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. And you know, we love virtual whiteboards. They're our jam. And Google Jamboards can be your jam. <laughs>
1: I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you get to hear our interview with Arnout Aurelio, all the way from the Netherlands. Next up, it's an issue that resonates across all industries the question of how do you make people feel appreciated? And this one uh, started for me, I talked to someone, a female colleague, and she said, why should I encourage my workers? No one ever encouraged me. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what is what is causing you to say that? That sounds so horrible. Um, and she had succeeded in a field that was predominantly male, and she won impressive worldwide contracts, um, and she built a, just a formidable organization. But I, I was like, why did why do you feel that way? And she said, you know, I had to struggle. Nobody gave me praise and people took credit for my work all the time. And so I want the people in my firm, I want the women in my firm to grow thick skins, right. And not expect praise and to be immune to criticism. Right. And I thought, okay, you're defined by your struggles. That's true. But what, what is this withholding praise or credit? Like what, you know, is that, you know, is that something we should be doing? And some people just, you know, they're too busy or they're just unaware that people did stuff. Um, maybe they feel like, hey, we're paying you for a great job. You know, that's that's affirmation. And, uh, you know, I sort of, there's also a, a whole kind of movement out there that kind of bucks that whole everyone deserves a trophy syndrome. And so people feel like, you know, I'm not going to just say, great job, and that's just too much, right? We're, we're, we're acknowledging too much. But, you know, that's, that's a problematic way to go because it's, it's, a, it's really, there's research out there, right? Daniel Pink, the guy that wrote Drive, you know, he tapped into research that showed, you know, credit is more important than money to a lot of people. Being seen, appreciated, respected is so huge that people would do things for free. Um, And he, you know, he points to Wikipedia as one thing that people do without compensation. So, you know, and the thing I get stuck on is it's, it's not a luxury, it doesn't cost anything, right? To say nice work simply means you're paying attention. So I don't know, how about you, Tracy? How do you, what do you do when it comes to praising others?
2: well you know i I attended a workshop the leadership challenge and it talks about encouraging the heart as one of the primary leadership responsibilities and it's interesting how many people struggle with this and about and part of encouraging the heart is praise and when we start to really dig back through the root causes we heard people say well i'm not good at compliments or I feel fake. I feel like I'm faking it when I give people a compliment. And I think that, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, truly appreciating others builds humility. First of all, it makes you appreciate others and be grateful for it. And it does help good relationships. But when you think you're not good at it, I think what's interesting is some people say, well, I have to be fake. No, (laughs) that is not what we're saying. Do not be fake. You better, if you're gonna praise somebody, it better be genuine. Do not fake it because that is worse. You're gonna, people are gonna recognize that you are not being truthful, you're not being genuine, and it's gonna backfire. People are gonna see right through you. So we're not asking you to be fake. We're asking you to fine tune your ability to find something that you are genuinely being positive about. You actually do have to try to find something that you're genuinely happy or grateful for. And so really you need to do that. And um, it's just really interesting how this can be hard for people. It's not hard for me. And so I don't, I think I do praise people and I try to be very specific. It's not just generalizations around praise, but very specific things that I appreciate. And to me, it just, it just helps me appreciate people more by being specific. and um, But it's really interesting some of the challenges people face
1: around praise. That is a huge eye-opener, Tracy. I hadn't thought about people thinking they're not good at it. I definitely feel uh, that it's important not to be fake about it. Don't say things you don't believe. But I think you ended on the reality of it, which is there's work involved. You've got to actually pay attention and figure out what it is that you do appreciate about somebody. So there's a pause, there's some time in there. So um, that's interesting. Uh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's that just one. like
2: a muscle. Yeah. Uh-huh. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Like anything. Yeah. And I think if you if you recognize it as such, you recognize okay maybe your muscle is not very strong here. Don't let it atrophy more.
1: <laughs> no. No. And you are good at it. You're wonderful at it. And I think um, you have to have, You also have to sort of get over like you need to make that habit regardless of what other people do. Like you might suddenly think, man, I, I always give credit. How come I'm not getting credit? <laughs> like, don't let that stop you, you know, just realize that you're, set, you're setting the stage, you're being a model. Um, I get, we put this out to the community. I got a good response from uh, leadership impact coach, Sunitha Narayanan, and, and she believes in each of us has a yearning to belong, right? And to especially do work that matters and serves you know, the greater good. So she observes in her coaching work that some clients are unable to find out you know, how their daily work connects to the overall vision of the organization. So appreciating people creates that opportunity to recognize meaning in someone's life, including work, right? So kudos helps create the human moments and goodwill. And you know, all work, if it's sustaining, is done with and through people. So she finds that is another way to connect people to what they're doing. So um, she says she likes asking people how they wish to be recognized, which I like, and that kind of responds to what you're talking about, Tracy, which is, you know, I feel fake. Well, ask people how they want to be recognized, right? So people have different styles, and you can take a moment to figure out, you know, how people receive recognition. And then there's always, you know, say thank you, write a note, call out work um, so you can get creative with it. And I like that. Thank you, Sunitha.
2: So here's another take from VP and co-founder of Joint Pivot, Jennifer Tankenau. She was talking with a client about how Peloton and safe driving apps have people coming back for more because of free badges that you win from working out or working hard or driving safely. And she admits she totally sucked into both of these programs. However, there is no need to invest money in an app. Saying thank you, congrats, and public play- public praise is free. So make a sticky note and make it part of your daily routine. Thank you, Jennifer.
1: I know. Jennifer's a colleague, and that's a wonderful idea. Just make it part of your daily routine. Um, and then I got one last one from uh, our colleague, Evans Kerrigan, who's co-founder and CEO of Integris performance advisors, which I think takes us full circle back to the leadership challenge that you were talking about. Um, so if you he says if you don't recognize people when they do good work, how much less will they hear you if you need to offer something other than praise. So if you make a practice of catching people doing things right, you're able to show how everyone contributes with with people facing issues we ne- may never know about, giving praise also allows us to sometimes be just the positive note someone needs in their day. I like that. I love that catching someone doing something right. That's awesome. So great wisdom from our crowd. Thanks again. Yes. Join
2: the conversation. We'll leave you a link if you've got some ideas you'd like to share as well. I'm Tracy O'Rourke and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. We we host these monthly. So you can go to jitcafe.com. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com and go to our podcast podcast. H.
1: Coming up next, it's our featured guest Arnout Aurelio. He's our first Dutch guest. Chrissy, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Arnout?
2: I'd love to. So I, lo- I really enjoyed getting to know him because he is our first Dutch guest, and he is captivating and thought-provoking speaker in the field of lean healthcare management, and obviously based in the Netherlands. Arnout has a proven track record as a lean coach. And he's helped hundreds of medical professionals become the best versions of themselves. And boy, do we want the best version of themselves in healthcare, right? Uh, creating peak performances and applying lean principles. So I love that. Arnout's focus is helping physicians and nurses and leaders in particular, making more time for better healthcare. And guess what? He knows so much about this. He wrote a book coming out at the end of this year, titled, Lean Thinking for Emerging Healthcare Leaders. How to develop yourself and implement process improvements. We are psyched to have him at the cafe.
1: Hello and welcome Arnout. Uh, Thank you for coming to us live from Helmond in the Netherlands. It's awesome to have you at the cafe.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) Um, And of course, we are here and excited about your book that's coming out. This is an area of process improvement that Tracy and I are involved in and deeply passionate about. So we wanted to know, first off, tell us, how did you become involved in addressing uh, problems in healthcare?
0: So that's indeed uh, quite a story. Uh, It's already been quite a while. I started my work focusing on healthcare in 2005, so quite a while, a long while ago. And uh, there were actually several things going on at the time. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm a parent of three sons, so and I explain to people when you have sons, well, you get to a hospital from time to time, so uh, <laughs> unavoidable to. Uh, avoid any responsibility for that yeah. um, and what I encountered in these hospitals me being from an engineering automotive lean background already I was consulted consultant at the time I felt it actually to be horrible mm. uh, as an experience I had uh, stomach aches and headaches and I was anxious and this all while I wasn't even the patient so, um, so that was one of those experiences felt, uh, left me to believe that there was a lot to learn in healthcare about how to build in quality into everything you do. Whereas we like to believe that, of course, because healthcare is so important, we think it's all about quality. And it is when it's about the content of the work, So we can, uh, doctors and nurses can do amazing things for people, but they forgot that they can only deliver amazing things when they have an excellent process as well. And as an engineer, that's what my first experience in healthcare were, the processes were not that good, not as good as the people were. Um, So, and another thing that happened is that at the time it was, a new thing for healthcare to have people from other sectors come and uh, look about what they maybe can learn from each other. And um, one of the researchers was a a president from Shell, the oil company, Mm -hmm. about patient safety. And he used the materials from the Institute of Medicine I think it's called To Err is Human. And uh, so he extrapolated those results to what he experienced in Dutch healthcare. And he came about the same numbers that we kill approximately several thousand people each year uh, due to bad processes in healthcare. So this was another thing that there was... a an issue. This confirmed what I already uh, thought was true. And on the positive side, I was approached by a a woman who was working in uh, the, we call it uh, the people with uh, intellectual uh, disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, uh, she was actually looking for quality improvement methods. And she didn't find anything in healthcare. So healthcare relied on itself for ye- all these years while they were not actually methodical about improving quality and in this case quality of the process. So that left her in her uh, in her uh, studies um, with people like Deming and Duran and she found his ideas and his name on our website because I was working at a a lean consultancy at the time. So she approached me and she said, do you think that what you do, could that work in healthcare? And my answer was, of course, why not? Because I'm an engineer, so I'm a systems thinker. So I don't believe that the content of the work determines whether something can work or not.
2: I do have a question for you. So now that you're in healthcare, and I experienced the same as you. There was, um, when I first started helping in healthcare, there seemed to be a higher um, resistance to embracing people and specialists outside of healthcare. And they kept, you know, they kept saying, we're different, we're different. And you know, I'm, there is different ap- applications that do apply. For example, I help government and there are certain cultural barriers and challenges I see in government. So now that you're in it and you've been helping healthcare and you've written a book about it as well, what challenges have you seen that, that are primarily in healthcare,
0: if any? So uh, yes, healthcare is different, but not for the reasons that many people think, or at least not the reasons that healthcare think they're different. Uh, so, and one thing is this, this thinking about being different. And it has to do with the fact that that, um, in healthcare, still everything is about the content of the work. And that leads to some extra uh, uh, creation of silos. And these silos are not only departments, but they're silos of discipline. So because each doctor has a particular Discipline like, uh, I don't know, a neurosurgeon or uh, maybe he's a, a pediatrician. And then within this specialty, the group of doctors have another specialty within their specialty. Like my neurologist, he's working a lot of patients with, uh, like me, with migraines, but some other neurologist doesn't know anything or less about migraines. And, um, and the The problem with that is that not necessarily that they are so specialized, but there's no counter movement for integrating all these people with all their knowledge Mm -hmm. into a process that helps the patient get from their issues to, well, a better life.
1: You know, that reminds me of the issues in the construction industry, because it's specialists, right? These are the people who are gonna pour the foundation. These are the people who are gonna bring in um, the walls. These yeah. are people doing fine jobs. Now they're all specialists and you're trying to get them all to work together to bring it from the idea of a building to a building. And I think um, as a patient, you feel it too with with um, specialists in healthcare, right? If you go to a surgeon, guess what? You need surgery.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know? Yeah. So. So, but uh, yes, and uh, and in the construction industry, interestingly, they solved it by doing project management. Mm -hmm. So at least they have some kind of management. But in healthcare, they didn't solve it with project management and they didn't solve it with process management either. So there's no one responsible for the patient getting the full treatment. Uh, from end to end. Yeah. So de- and uh, at least in the in construction, when something goes wrong, you know who to call.
1: Right. There's a project uh, manager. You're right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can always call, and even the the, the people who do the windows or the painting or the carpenters, they know that you should go to him. Whereas- and, then, and then he get, and then he gets back to them to solve the problem probably. So it's not it's not the most efficient, but at least as a client, you know who to call when you have a problem. There's accountability. And, Whereas yeah. it seems like healthcare is a series of handoffs, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that means that I, I have been the victim of a, a, a medical error. And I felt that I was the case manager for this process done wrong. So not necessarily for the uh, for the results, because I had a paralyzed arm. Luckily, it's working again. But um, so there's neurologists that research the arm, etc. But the fact that 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 my process went wrong twice, mm. that's that's nobody's responsibility. So and then we get to what makes healthcare different. There seems no responsibility with management. So So they're, they're separated from the actual process. So management is only there to manage the budget. So there's no connection between the people managing the, the work, uh, The people doing the work and people that supposedly manage the work. The work there, is not managed.
1: Are there inroads you found to get, to address that disconnect?
0: Yeah, and the, the, well, the most effective uh, way to do that is if you can um, uh, get, uh, there's there's several ways. Uh, One way would be to disrupt leadership. And what I mean is that you work with with a healthcare worker, like a doctor or a physician or a nurse, and you uh, empower them to take the lead to improve the process as a whole. And that means that you need some, um, well, at least uh, management should uh, be okay with it. Not necessarily involved, but at least when they can, because they left it alone already. So if they still leave it alone, but the nurse gets to do what she needs to do to make it better, that that could work. But of course, then you still have this uh, layer of well thinking and doing, let's say. And the other thing is that you um, that you take middle managers, and or may, maybe even better put team leaders uh, with uh, leadership capabilities, because they have already some kind of authority in the organization. So they are probably better suited than an individual nurse or doctor to bring a group together and have them improve a process. And uh, and this could at least uh, give you some kind of uh, start. So but the. the Depends. Preferably, of course, uh, we want a lean transformation, but uh, (laughs) we don't always uh, get it. (laughs) Yeah, we 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 hardly ever get it. uh, I think the numbers tell us. But uh, so I think that's uh, and that's also how my my books maybe to put a bit of a link. So the book which is coming out now is actually telling you. from a leadership uh, perspective, I think that lean transformation is no more than a a leadership development Mm. system. So if you're able from wherever part of the organization to make an oil spot and then not an oil spot of lean tools or improvement projects, but an oil spot of new leadership, Mm. then um, because if I'm a team leader, And I have multiple, maybe in healthcare, many team leaders have multiple teams, which is terrible for their span of support, but okay, it is what it is. But the the advantage is that they can take one team and experiment, and then they go to the next team, and then they have learned already quite some. So they, they are better able to help the next team. And when they... And then the next thing is they start something with their colleague team leader and their boss, like the, the, I don't know, business unit manager or depends on how you organize. And then this team of team leaders and business unit manager, they start learning about leadership and how to spread it. And then of course, because this business unit manager has multiple team leaders, they can spread it. I think it's a bit like, I think it's the Henry Ford Health System in uh, Detroit, where there's a, a, you could say a pocket of lean transformation by this, uh, uh, the, yeah, the head of the laboratory. I forgot his name, sorry uh, to look him up. But uh, so, and his whole, everything which is under his responsibility, he has built a whole new culture. Whereas in some other parts of the same system, they're not yet at that place. So that could be a way to uh, not always look up and wait for the manager to change. That's mm. something that m- maybe in healthcare they do a bit more than, um, at least in the Netherlands, I see a lot of uh, posts. If you look on LinkedIn, um, many people uh, blame the government or the executives for the problems on the shop floor and they might be right but the issue is they also ask them to solve them Mm. and that's where it goes wrong because then they solve the problems and then of course the nurses and the doctors say this won't work <laughs> Clearly, you don't have any understanding of how it is here. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that's our
2: so Ar- note. Yeah. you have you have a book coming out.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, geared towards he- emerging healthcare leaders. And my question to you is you, you do mention meta skills in the book and how you can expand on those skills. But what, um, what skills, can you tell us a little bit, a sneak peek potentially about what are some of these skills that leaders, you're really looking to develop in leaders and see more of in healthcare?
0: Um, well, um, yeah, I think that the most important thing is that they start to understand that uh, healthcare is, a, is teamwork and uh, not necessarily the, the, the groups that we currently call teams. Because a team to me is a group of people with a shared purpose. But many teams are just in healthcare are just uh, nurses or they're, they're discipline based. And, and often they are so big that they can't be a team because well, they would, uh, be each other's obstacle, I, I would say they would, mm. that won't work. So I think that, that that multidisciplinary leadership, that knowing that it's teamwork and that it asks for a joint purpose. And it's very easy to find this joint purpose because you just ask, you're just wondering what the patients need. And then you're wondering, how are we gonna give it to the patient? And then after that, you're gonna ask, okay, what disciplines do we need? And currently we do it the other way around. Currently the patient is saying, these are, these are my complaints or I have pain here and there and there. And then they break up the patient and they send them to different, parts of the hospital or of the health system to make sure that somebody looks at the eyes, because maybe vision is not okay, and then somebody else is looking at maybe the mental health or whatever, so mm. I think that's so that's the leadership we need. We need the leadership that that patients are sure yeah. that they they're taken care of as a whole
1: you know that is it's so fascinating because it it touches on two things you mentioned one is it's very easy to have a shared purpose, as you're saying because. The customer is in front of you, right? So in yeah. a lot of the other industries you've worked in, Tracy and I've worked in, you know, there we don't even see them. We're deep inside of a you know a silo, and somewhere down the line there's a customer experiencing a service or a product, but here they are right in front of you. So being that mission-driven team is a much easier thing to accomplish. Um, and I think about you mentioned earlier, uh, seeing people from other disciplines come into healthcare. So I worked a lot in hospitality working with hotels and yeah. I've seen some of the people I trained show show up in hospitals I'm working with and I think oh so you're getting people in and out of beds with a slightly different sense of urgency but in hospitality it's very clear you want that guest to have a beautiful experience while they're there right so now a patient you want that patient to come out whole. Um, so being a team, like you said, uh, would have a huge impact. Um, I really yes, love that.
0: And, and I think you touch on something else, which uh, healthcare is maybe not different, but maybe behind, um, because they think they're unique and everything needs to be tailored. They fail to see that many of the issues and the problems they have, have been solved already. I mean hospitality has been solved uh, or uh, I, uh, having the information at the right time, at the right place without everybody, anybody else accessing it but the people who can, who need to, is already solved. It's called banking. When I went to, in the '90s to, to Singapore to, uh, where, where, where did I go? I, did, I went to Peru and I put this plastic card into a slot. And I got money, exactly the amount I asked for, and nobody knew but my bank in the Netherlands. So, how come we still don't know how to make uh, 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 the how to collect and provide patient data? Yeah. So I think this this is what uh, this is what frustrates me the most, because. It doesn't need to be that way. No, and, there's... And so, and this has to do with, I think, uh, when you asked me, do you know a topic for this uh, for this podcast? I said, well, no problem is a problem. Mm. So healthcare is full of symptoms. Most patients are treated from the, for the symptoms because we don't always know what the ex- exact cause of, uh, of problems are. But the same goes for... The process problems in the Netherlands uh, maybe uh, in the US as well we have a huge what they call staff shortage Mm -hmm. but staff shortage is not a problem it's a solution disguised as a problem (laughs) because if you think this is the problem then staffing is the only solution but there's many reasons that people feel that they need more staff and that's because they're they never took the time or the the effort to find out what's really keeping them from treating their patients.
1: Yeah. Tracy and I have a phrase we've borrowed, I believe, from our colleague Mike Osterling, which is creativity before cash.
0: So yeah, exactly. Should
1: we see the, the solutions masquerading as problems and say, okay, so before we do that, how are you going to make make your case, right? Yeah, you have exactly. to it staffing by addressing the process first
0: yeah sure. whereas most people ask for yeah but we don't have room in the budget but the, the budget itself is the problem i call this the uh, i have it in, in my book as well as an introduction of how i look at healthcare and i call this the circle of continuous misery <laughs> and the circle says that that if when you when you define your problems as uh, money problems like mm-hmm. not having enough budget then well of course the only way to solve it is to cut the budget and when you cut the budget what happens people get less opportunities to help patients less staff or less equipment or uh, less uh, materials or maybe they have to wait for medication longer so this this affects the quality provided by the nurses and the doctors well if quality goes down then patients start to complain or even worse the inspectorate comes and they uh, maybe uh, take away your license or whatever could happen and then well then they ask you to put in procedures and countermeasures to attack these problems. And because these are forced countermeasures, these are based on the symptoms, again. So that means that they build a bureaucracy which costs money, which causes you to look at your budget and say, how am I going to pay for these countermeasures? Well, I have to, I can cut here. And well, and then you go on.
1: Yeah, and you go on into the ci- circle yeah. of misery as, as and the, you the defined circle, it. Yeah,
0: Exactly. Thank so you.
1: So, yeah, that's
0: uh, wow. <laughs> see how Tracy's laughing. So, yeah. I, I
2: can't wait to read about yeah. the circle of misery. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're already out of time, believe it or not, are now. Yeah. And, um, so we're really excited. Uh, Wendy, would you say the book is going to be ready to re- release?
0: I can't give an exact date but it will be this fall oh. uh, I'm working for on it uh, very uh, hard right now together with my publisher so um, the, the title will be Lean Thinking in Healthcare Safe, Compassionate, Zero Waste No Struggle so at least then people know where my true north is at and if people like to go for a, a place where it's has those conditions, uh, happy to uh, pick up a copy as soon as it's out. Um, I'm uh, interestingly now uh, currently uh, recruiting people for my launch team. So if people are interested in that, they think I want to help share this message. Mm -hmm. Well, connect to me on LinkedIn and I make sure that you uh, will get a spot. Sounds awesome, we'll uh, be on your launch team. Yeah, you're welcome. I will uh, put you on. Okay. And then uh, anybody who likes to uh, know about my work in general or follow whether the updates on the book, you can go to leanthinkinginhealthcare.com. This is my website. You find there the new the new upcoming book. You find my earlier work in uh, in English, and uh, you can follow my blog, the uh, which contains even the story about the circle of continuous misery i couldn't keep it for myself so i no no you must it.
1: share the misery share the misery yeah yes,
0: share the misery hoping that people at least feel that they need to take a step mm-hmm. and that there's some nurses or doctors that listen to this and they say okay i'm gonna take the lead
1: wonderful awesome. and we will provide links for our listeners to to connect with you um, yes please great, do, great work and exciting about the book this fall now and wonderful to get to meet up with you and, uh, and hope to see you again at the cafe.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thank Take you.
1: Care. Be sure to register for our October 13th webinar featuring Costco Wholesale Industries and their wildly successful use of, the, of idea boards with Costco presenters, Carlos Vallejo, Ruben Fuentes, and Stafi Bergato. You'll hear all about the details of how this program works the Cusco way.
2: So we are very psyched to have your company. The Just In Time Cafe is packed with members of our fabulous community, and we love building and growing that community too.
1: I agree. Join us next month and every single month for your jolt of Lean caffeine.